0: When I was in college, um, I had a friend give me an old devotional that was written in 1942. Um, I still have it today. It's Abundant Living over there by E. Stanley Jones. And it, it is an old devotional that shouldn't be judged by its cover. A lot of you have devotionals by Oswald Chambers. Um, that's one of, you know, my utmost for his highest, a, a wonderful devotional. This is probably the second leading devotional out there from years gone by. Um, and when he, that friend gave me this book, he said to me, he said, now don't judge this book by its cover. He said, there is great meat inside of it. And um, E. Stanley Jones was a Methodist missionary Um, who, or a Methodist missionary medical doctor. And um, he became such a great missionary and evangelist in India that Time Magazine in 1938 labeled him the world's greatest missionary evangelist. I can't imagine Time even caring about that today. But anyway, at that time they did. And he spent his life among the very most powerful people of India and the lowest caste of people in India. I mean, he just was able to to go across all different um, layers of, of caste in India and work with them. And he engaged Mahatma Gandhi numerous times and was invited by him to come and talk to him and they would hold debates between Hinduism and Christianity and all that kind of stuff and made numerous attempts to lead Mahatma Gandhi to Christ. But in his devotional, he writes this, the early Christians did not say in dismay, look what has come, look what the world has come to. But in delight... They said, look what has come to the world. Look what has come to the world. They didn't see merely the ruin, but they saw the resource for the reconstruction of the ruin that sin had made. And so I want to say to you today, and that, well, that's my theme, look at what has come to the world. And not just the world, but look at what has come to your world. You know, you listen to the news, and, and I'm, I'm kind of a news junkie. Um, I can spend hours listening to Fox News, and it just annoys everyone else around me. Um, but I've even gotten so, I don't even care for that so much. You know, I'm just tired of all the bad news. And all the bad press and all of that. But the world news and the U.S. news, it's just rather depressing, actually. And some days, the news of our own individual lives can be rather discouraging also. But Galatians chapter 4, where we started in Sunday school this morning, Galatians chapter 4, 4 through 6, says the good news is this that God sent his son in the fullness of time so that we might become the children of God. But that happened in the heart of God from the very beginning. Not just when he sent his son, but from the very beginning. John chapter 1 tells us that Jesus was there in the very beginning. John tells us that Jesus is God, that he was God and is God, that he was with God. And then John makes this statement. He says that Jesus created everything that has been made. All the way back there in the very beginning. And so not only is Jesus the one who saves us and redeems us, but he's the one that made us. And he knows how our lives ought to be. And he He came as the plan to get us back to that place in our lives. And then you move from Genesis chapter 1 where Jesus is. We're the Father in the very beginning creating. And you go all the way to Genesis chapter 3. <laughs> and you have this fall of man where Adam and Eve sinned. And I'm not going to go into that except for to say this. In the fall, right there in Genesis chapter 3, God said to the serpent that represented Satan that he planned for Jesus to come and crush his head. And so I say to you, look at what has come into the world. The one that God the Father planned from Genesis chapter 3 and before to come into the world to solve the biggest problem that has ever befallen humankind, the problem of sin. Who is it that has come into the world? It is the very God. Who created the world. It is the very God who created you. And it is the God who has a plan for your sin. Even before you were born. And had a plan for my sin. Even before I was born. And that's really why also the genealogies that we talked about three weeks ago. Are so important. Because God documented for us in scripture. How our Savior was both God, but also the only person who fulfilled all of the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. And fulfilled, and then came through the right family line, and through the line of David, in order to be the Messiah who, only him, could save us. God had a plan all the way from Adam all the way down to Jesus in order to save us from our sin. So when the created world falls apart, which it did right there in Genesis chapter 3, and when our created world falls apart, when my created world falls apart, God has a plan, and he's always had a plan, and his name is Jesus. Matthew tells us, that the angel came and instructed Joseph to name him Jesus because he would save his people from their sin. Now I just have a question for you because I'm not sure too many of us get hung up there. I suspect that for most of us, our primary interest in Jesus is not in being saved from sin. We run to Jesus because we are primarily concerned about other things. We are concerned about finances and we are concerned about health and we are concerned about grief and losing things and we are concerned about relationship issues and we are concerned about all these other things in life and we're really not all that deeply concerned about sin. And God didn't send a Savior to deal with all those other things that we are so concerned about. He sent a Savior to deal with one issue that you and I don't get too concerned about. And that is our sin. Have you really ever thought much about sin when it comes to Christmas time? That is the reason he came. That is the reason that Jesus came to earth was because of your sin and because of my sin. God is primarily concerned about sin in your life and my life. He is concerned about that because there is nothing else in our lives that can do more damage than sin. Not death, not sickness, not relationship issues, not lack of finances. There is nothing in all the world that can do more damage to us and cost us more than sin. And that is why Jesus and God is so concerned about this thing that we call sin. It can do the greatest damage to us. And the thing is that all of us are sinners. And the Christmas message is this, that Jesus came to save us from sin. Now, I wish the next thing I was going to tell you was not true, but it is. We never get past needing a Savior because we never get past our sin. We conquer sin in our lives on a superficial level. You know, there's the outward, obvious acts and behaviors of sin that we can identify out there. And they're pretty easy to look at someone and say, oh, they're in sin. (laughs) Because it's obvious. It's outward. And those kind of acts. And that's kind of on a superficial level. Just actions are wrong, that we we know our transgressions against the known law of God. But the longer we walk with Christ and clean up and, and God cleans up some of those areas in our lives, if we stay sensitive to God's spirit, we discover that there are additional layers and levels of sin in us that are more hidden and they are deeper. And Satan is a little bit more sophisticated as you and I become a little bit more sophisticated in our Christianity. Satan gets a little bit more sophisticated in his trying to destroy us with sin in levels that you and I do not recognize if we aren't careful. And I want to tell you, friends, I need Jesus as a savior of my life more today than I ever ever have in my entire life. Because as I stay sensitive to God, I see things in my life that are ugly. And I need a Savior. And you do too. Do not ever get to the point in your Christian life that you don't need Christmas. Christmas. Never become so arrogant that you think you've got it all taken care of and sin is no longer an issue and there's bigger issues in your world to fry. You need to deal with finances, relationship issues, or this or that or something else. That's what you're really passionate about. God's number one concern in your life and in my life is what sin is going to do to me. And I want to ask you, Do you care about the thing in your life that God cares so much about, that he is so concerned about that he sent his son to die on a cross to take care of? You need a Savior today as much as the day you repented and came to Christ and asked him to come into your life and and forgive you. And until the day you die, you will need a Savior. If you are sensitive at all to the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God will continue to work in your life and convict you of those deeper, lesser, obvious sin patterns. Sometimes they're just thoughts. Sometimes they're sins of the Spirit. Sometimes they're attitudes that creep into our lives that destroy us, that hurt us. And God sent a Savior to take care of that issue in our life. John says that Jesus came full of grace and truth. friends, I want you to know this morning that Jesus comes with uncompromising truth in Jesus. If you genuinely have a relationship with Jesus, he will confront your sin. Because he is truth. He will not let you just live in it. He will not just let you wallow in it. He will confront it because He is truth. He is light that exposes the darkness within you. But He will confront your sin with grace and with love. And He will confront your sin because He never, ever loses His love for you. I want to say to you today, it is impossible to draw close to God and choose to live a life of sin because God sent you His Son to set you free from sin, not to make you free to live in it. I'm going to say that again. God sent you His Son to set you free from sin not to set you free to choose to live in sin. And so I say to you, look at what has come into the world. The thing that God is more concerned about wrecking your life than anything else that this world could do. God sent his Savior to save you From that. Matthew tells us. That he was also given another name. Emmanuel. Which means God with us. I have renewed over the last couple months. um, uh, An acquaintance from. With a childhood friend. Leanne Hauser. Over Facebook, she suffers from lupus. Um, her dad was my pastor when I was a little boy in, in Bristol, South Dakota, and then my pastor at um, um, Bardisville when I was going to college. And lupus is a humbling disease that makes you increasingly dependent the longer you live on others until you basically really can't do much of anything for yourself. And what has impressed me with Leanne is the quality of the worship in her life. Daily, praise to God for his grace, for his love, for his presence, as she deals with the humiliating aspects of her disease that has stripped her of the life that she had hoped for. I want to say to you this morning, in the disappointments, in the diseases, in the distresses of life, Satan wants us to turn our backs on God. And he would have us think in those times that God has turned his back on us, and that's why we're going through those things. (laughs) No. That is not what God has done. God never turns His back on us. It is not through disappointments and diseases and distresses that God ever turns His back on us. But God has given us Jesus to be with us. To be for us. In those times in our life, God has not turned his back on us. God works all things together for good to them that love Jesus and have been called according to his purpose. Look at what has come into our world Emmanuel and Leanne instead of turning her back on God, is running full into the arms of God and letting God be with her in the midst of her lupus. Look at what has come into the world, Jesus, a savior from sin. Look at what has come into the world, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And thirdly, Look at what has come into the world, a humble king. God breaks our expectations. When you stop and think about who God was sending to earth for us, you would just expect that things would have been a little bit different for him and for his arrival here. (laughs) Jesus is God's one and only beloved son. At his baptism, the voice of God from heaven thunders down and says, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. God sent him to earth and trusted him to live among us and to die for us. And he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But how does he come to us? C.S. Lewis wrote, The eternal being who knows everything, who created the whole universe, became not a man, but a baby. And before that, he, before that, a fetus in a, in a woman's body. Just stop and think about that. You know, why didn't God just drop him with, in a parachute, you know, as a full-grown man to be the Messiah? Uh, you know, <laughs> done something like that. But no, he, he raises him up, puts him in, a, in Mary's womb. A- and some of you have seen those ultrasound pictures. You look at them and you don't know if you've seen anything or not. I never did notice anything. Um, Priscilla saw stuff. I just saw blobs. <laughs> you know, um, not much there. And I just stop and I think, and this is the way God sent his son to us to start out as one of those gray little blobs in a, in a bad photograph. <laughs> then he's born and he's born in a stable because there is no room there in the end. Many years ago, before there were anti-discrimination laws in our nation, um, Mrs. Rosenberg was stranded late one night um, in a fashionable resort on Cape Cod. And that resort did not admit Jews. The desk clerk looked down at his book and said, Sorry, there's no room here, and the, uh, the hotel is full. And the lady said, but your science says that you have vacancies. And the desk clerk stammered around and then finally curtly said, you know that we don't admit Jews. Please try the other side of town. And Mrs. Rosenberg stiffened quite noticeably and said, I'll have you know that I have converted from Judaism to Christianity. And the desk clerk said, okay, well, then let me um, give you a little test. Tell me how Jesus was born. Well, she said, he was born to a virgin named Mary in a little town called Bethlehem. And the clerk said, well, that's very good. Can you tell me some more? She said, he was born in a manger. The clerk said, yes, that's right. And then he said, and why was there no room in the manger? And Mrs. Rosenberg said quite loudly so everyone else could hear because some idiot behind a hotel desk wouldn't give a Jewish lady a room for the night. Do you have any more questions? And he said, no. And she said, didn't think so. (laughs) Well, God sent Jesus the Messiah to be born in an inn that didn't have room for him, in a stable. And then not only that, but God sent Jesus to live in a poor family. Not with a king, or not with the upper class of society and all of that, but God sent Jesus to live in a poor family. When Joseph and Mary consecrated Jesus when he was eight days old, they offered the sacrifice of two pigeons, and the law required a lot more than that, except for in the case of poverty. You could offer the sacrifice for your firstborn, and it could be two pigeons, Otherwise, I forget now what it was. I think it was a sheep. But they didn't have the resources to offer the sacrifice that they should have been able to sacrifice for Jesus on his um, consecration there. Because they were too poor. The scriptures tell us that Jesus had no place to lay his head. God sent Jesus to pastor a people who didn't provide a place for him to lay his head, a beautiful home for him, a brand new office, or any of that kind of stuff. He sent him to the world and really didn't... In, it wasn't impressive at all. And what that tells me is this. There isn't any place that Jesus won't go. There isn't any situation, there isn't any circumstance that Jesus won't enter into and sanctify and make better. John calls Jesus the light that shines in the darkness and the true light that gives light to every man. And I want to say to you if you're light, seems a little dark, you have the perfect environment. If your life seems a little dark, you have the perfect environment for Jesus to shine brightly. Look at what has come into our world. A humble king who will enter into anything with us and that you and I have to go through. During the long war years, a little boy was caught by his mother quite frequently, looking at his picture of his daddy on the table. The boy had left, of course, when he was quite a young infant and he'd gone to serve in the military And after several years, the boy had kind of forgotten him as a person, but he would often look at the picture. And one day, the little boy said, if only Father could step out of that picture and be real. God has stepped out of heaven in Jesus. And he has become real for us. And John says, to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And so I say to you this morning, along with East Stanley Jones, look at what has come to the world. A Savior to save us from sin, not to leave us in it. A God who wants to be with us, regardless of what, where we go, what we do, a God who wants to be with us. And then a humble king who will enter with you into anything you have to face or go through. You and I have the greatest gift God has to offer. In Jesus Christ. To save us from sin. A God who will be with us. And a God who will enter into. Whatever we go through. With him.